You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we survey the books of the Bible one book at a time. I'm Drew Kaiser, and with me is Andrew Kingsley. We are studying the book of Ezekiel. And I'm going to give a little introduction to things uh, by reminding our listeners about Ezekiel chapter 24. That wasn't last episode, it was the one before, I think. But uh, whenever we covered that, it kind of left us hanging because chapter 24 ends with the Lord telling Ezekiel right after his wife dies that he'll take the delight of his eyes and he's going to take the delight of the Israelites' eyes, Jerusalem and the temple. And uh, he says, verse 26, On that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day your mouth, Ezekiel's mouth, will be opened to the fugitive, and you shall speak and be no longer mute, so you will be assigned to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. Now all of this is coming to Ezekiel as the city goes under siege. Babylon has attacked. And so Ezekiel is to be mute. We don't know if that's mm-hmm. literally he can't speak like John the Baptist's dad couldn't speak until John was born. Yeah. Or he wasn't allowed to speak about the prophecies of Israel. And the, the only reason we think it may be that latter option is because from chapters 25 to 33, uh, he's prophesying against nations, non-Jewish nations. He's not speaking about Israel at all, which lends itself to the interpretation that he could speak, he just couldn't speak oracles against his own people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's assuming this thing is organized uh, chronologically, which we're not sure about that. Which a lot of prophets are not. Which we definitely yeah. saw with I mean, Jeremiah. It's not a big Isaiah. thing for them to have a nice mm-hmm. sermon outline for us, you know. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, though. You get to Ezekiel. Okay, so the Lord tells us the city's under siege. You're not going to speak until a fugitive comes to the camp in Babylon telling you that Jerusalem has been destroyed. And then we're waiting to see what happens next in the story. And we get all these chapters, seven chapters, I think, mm-hmm. on other nations we know very little about. Now, our listeners know a lot about them now because they heard episode 81 where we talked about all of them. But the the seven nations are mentioned there, like Ammon and Moab, Edom, Tyre, Sidon, Philistia, etc. And, uh, you know, we're just sitting there waiting. Okay, what's, what's happening with Jerusalem? Chapter 33 is where we get back to Jerusalem And in verse 21, we read that in the twelfth year of our exile, you remember Ezekiel and those with him are on the Kebar Canal in Babylon. They're a long way away, maybe a four months journey away from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And so this is the twelfth year that they've been in that captivity. In the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been struck down. So it is resolved at that point. We've been in suspense for all of these chapters, chapters 25 through 32. Finally, in chapter 33, we get the news that it has fallen. This dates that chapter to be about 586 B.C. for anybody Mm -hmm. who's interested in that kind of thing. And so I think, you know, we needed to talk about that a little bit before we get to chapter 34, which is really going to be our focus today. Just one chapter and that's unusual for the book of Ezekiel. But this chapter is so different, I think, than, than all the others 
that it needs to stand on its own. It just uh, if we were to slap together some other chapters with it, we would be covering more than one topic. So yeah. uh, Andrew's going to take us through Ezekiel chapter thirty-four, and it's uh, you know a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and I expect mm-hmm. that. In our application, we're going to have a lot of lessons on leadership today. Yeah, uh, because the chapter is, like, I'm really glad you brought up the context here. Uh, Whether or not Ezekiel says this at the same time of the events at the end of chapter 33 is up for debate. But either way, it flows nicely uh, with the subject matter here because God is talking to Ezekiel Uh, basically saying, uh, come and sit before the people uh, and basically tell them what's happened in Jerusalem. And then when he gets to chapter 34, he is going to really uh, call out the leadership of Israel and basically say, you know, this has come under your leadership uh, because of your very poor leadership. And then uh, starting in verse... uh, Later on, uh, let me see here, starting down in verse, should I have this before I said it? Verse starting down in verse 11, on. there we go. <laughs> verse 11, uh, Ezekiel makes a direct contrast from the evil shepherds to the good shepherd that is to come. So mm-hmm. we have a, a very stark contrast between what bad leadership looks like and what good leadership looks like. But before we get into all those things, let me give you an idea of just what the text itself says. So in the first 10 verses, uh, God is really pouring out, I guess, some judgment on these evil shepherds. Here's what they did wrong. In verses 2 and 3 and verse 8, you read that these shepherds did not feed the hungry. Starting in verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say against them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. So they're taking all the food for themselves. Uh, They do not clothe the sheep either. Verse 3, we just read this. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Then in verse 4, we have three things, four things really, that they're doing wrong. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So several things they're doing there. He also brings up that they did not seek the lost in verse 6 and in verse 8. What's particularly interesting here is really the mindset with which these people have ruled. And you see that at the end of verse 4, with force and harshness. You have ruled them. Mm-hmm. So their style of leadership has led their people. And if you'll notice, if you're a shepherd and you do all those things to your sheep, they are not going to survive. If you don't feed them, if you cut their wool off and clothe yourself with it, um, if you don't go out and get the lost ones when they run away, if you're not caring for them, they're obviously all going to die. Mm-hmm. Now, you might be... Or scatter. Yeah. You know, I was looking for the the outcome and the terminology that he uses in verse six is they they've scattered, they've wandered mm-hmm. all over the mountains. Right. So maybe they're not completely destroyed and this lends itself to the 
remnant motif that you see mm-hmm. in these books of the Bible. Yeah. But, you know, it's not good. They didn't right. keep them together. Many of them did die, mm-hmm. and the rest are scattered. And you think of this imagery, it's perfect for a time in Israelite history where there's probably communities of Israel in Egypt. There are definitely communities of Israel in Babylon uh, mm-hmm. and Persia and all these other places. Even up till today, now we think in terms of the diaspora, which is the scattering of the Jewish people all over the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting at the end of that, he says, they're scattered and there's no one to search or seek for them. Mm -hmm. So these men who are supposed to be the shepherds that are in charge of that, uh, they're just not doing it. They're not doing it. Um, So their judgment is going to come in the verses that follow. Uh, Verse 10, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. How many times has God just come out and tell somebody, I am against you? It's like the opposite of Romans 8.31. If God Mm -hmm. is for us, who can be against us? Yeah. If God is against us, who can be for us? Yeah, you know, a... not to sound too much like Yoda and just turning things around, but yeah. that that's <laughs> got to be frightening to read that the Lord is against me. Right, especially for these men. Well, if they did still believe, right? I mean, actions. they probably yeah. Um, but the good news is still coming here in the next part of the chapter. So we have a very stark contrast made from each point of failure made by the evil shepherds, the new shepherd is going to um, heal those areas of failure that the evil shepherds um, had really created all this damage in. So the first thing he does, uh, verses 11 through 12, and again in verse 16, he seeks the lost. This will certainly remind you probably of um, the statement that Jesus said where he's gave us his mission. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Also, the parable of the lost sheep is right. what came to my yeah. mind. Yeah, um, that is exactly right. And a lot of these things come back to, I have some notes here we might mention in the next section, uh, come back to Psalm 23, Yeah, uh, where the Lord is, or where Jesus is called the shepherd. Um, so a lot of these things. God, yes, the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And we keep those things in mind. Um Mm-hmm. They're they're very similar as we read through this. Not only does he seek the lost, he rescues them, that you can see in verse 12. Uh, this is also familiar from other passages, even in the New Testament. In Romans 11, 26 to 27, Paul says, The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. This is my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. And I believe he's even quoting Isaiah there in Romans 11. Um, as he writes that. So he seeks them, he rescues them, and he gathers them from verse 13. Uh, This is something similar to a verse we saw in Jeremiah in chapter 23, uh, where the Lord says, I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them, which sounds exactly like the context here. The sheep are scattered, and he's going to bring in the shepherd to bring them back uh, together. He feeds them Verses 13 through 15, uh, he brings them peace. In verse 15, he binds the injured and strengthens the weak. In verse 16, and you'll notice that a lot of these, especially that one, uh, 
They are direct contrasts to verses 3 and 4 that we read earlier, where it says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not, not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So if we go back here and we read through these verses about the good shepherd, starting in verse 16, you'll find that a lot of these are directly contrasted to that. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So basically this new shepherd is going to right all the wrongs. Then he also judges. We can read that uh, following from verse 17 through 19. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not good enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Uh, so he lets them know that he is going to judge them. And then in verses 25 through 31, um, we kind of shift gears a little bit and we talk about the new covenant, the covenant of peace that the Lord is going to make with his people. Um, so whereas the results of the evil leadership were death and the scattering of the sheep, now the results of God's leadership through this new covenant are going to be security, blessings, no famine, and no shame. And that's what we read from those final few verses of the chapter. Uh, and then we have this very recognizable verse at the end of the chapter in verse 31. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. We are back, and uh, we are going to make, well, I shouldn't say that, I was about to say we're going to make this a little shorter, this segment a little shorter than usual, so we'll have time on the other one, but, no. you know, honestly, especially with the second segment of this show, we go in per on purpose not knowing much about what the other guy is going to say. Right. So, uh, it's just no more fun that way. Conversation's going to go. Yeah. Most of this is filled with me just quizzing drew on different <laughs> different no, things not. and then i make notes for the next time we then do i this. make up stuff i can sound really smart you trust me and then we wind up getting old not knowing anything about reality nah. or truth nah that's not no, I don't, i'm not making up stuff um although you did tell me well never mind we won't get into that um Okay, so here's my first area of um, concern from chapter 34. I want to know who these shepherds are that God is referring to when he speaks to Ezekiel here. Because my first inclination is he's talking to leaders who are alive and present at the very moment. You know, men who could actually hear these words being spoken. Um, and I know from the commentary uh, that I have looked at um, that this 
is probably referring to the kings of Israel, the past kings of Israel. And I mean, while that, you know, it fits with the term shepherd because David was called a shepherd. Um, Samuel, I think, was called a shepherd. Uh, Moses was called a shepherd. Mm -hmm. So the leaders were called shepherds. And so but that those were sense. pretty good leaders. And these right. guys are really bad. And it just doesn't feel right because of verse 2. If you look at the present tense verbs, Son of man, prophesy, present tense, against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, present tense, and say, present tense, to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God. So they so, have to be like alive at the current point current, in history. Yeah, current That's leaders. What I was there hasn't been so I I know that a lot of those guys you named were shepherds. I think that gets mixed in. This is a metaphor. This may be the richest metaphor used in the Old Testament because you know, Abraham herded sheep. Moses yeah. herded sheep. Oh, that's true. Those Jacob guys were sheep. literally shepherds as David, well. Yeah, Not David. Only shepherds of Israel. Yeah. Um, all of them seem to come from that background because the Israelites were a nomadic people for a long time, and you know they were sheep herders, and that's why they had to live in Goshen when they were in Egypt under Moses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that gets mixed up though with who the Lord is talking to right now in Ezekiel chapter 34. There's no strong king at this point. And the right. Zedekiah, <clears throat> well, there's no king by chapter 34. Zedekiah right, was captured. Been, and that's what was even, reported in chapter 33 that so we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Zedekiah was the one who was set up by Nebuchadnezzar after they took... Um, the current king away, right? Yeah, it was like, so that kind of happened with the last four. Jehoiakim. There were a lot, you know, there's a Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim. Um, Jehoiachin was the one. He had been exiled, and then Babylon, with Nebuchadnezzar, puts Zedekiah on the throne, right? And then yes. Zedekiah, after a while, decided he would rebel against even Nebuchadnezzar, who put him on the throne, which is why Nebuchadnezzar comes in and just levels, right. finally just says, okay, we're done with this. Right. Yeah, um, so there had been a number of puppet kings who decided for some, I think Egypt was very alluring to some of them, mm -hmm. they decided that they'd rebel, they were removed. So the kings weren't really running the people anymore. You know, when we talk about true leadership, we're talking about the ones that are really influencing people. And... uh you know, John Maxwell always says that position doesn't equal leadership. Title doesn't equal leadership. Right. The real leaders are the ones that people are following. Mm -hmm. And Israel was in this shape because of the leadership there. I'm thinking more generally in terms of tribal leaders, yeah. city leaders, uh, religious leaders, priests, elders. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of, of people fit better to me. And this is you know, opinion that I'm giving you here yeah. than just one king or even his administration. I think they are included as well. Yeah. But you had the high priest, you had the, um, you know, the religious leaders, etc. Mm -hmm. But prophets were out there besides Ezekiel who were false prophets. Right. I was about to mention mm -hmm. that. We've seen, how much of that have we seen so far in Ezekiel? Where Ezekiel's getting on to 
priests and prophets. And then that was also yeah. familiar from Jeremiah. Which is um, contemporary with Ezekiel. Right. So, yeah. Jeremiah was in the city preaching against prophets who were, you know, in the city saying, hey, don't worry about it. Nothing bad's going to happen. You know, just years before they're overthrown. That, I am inclined to agree with your opinion over some of the things that I've read. Like you mentioned, the, you know, the present tense of these things. Prophesy is mentioned twice, present tense. Say to them. Um, so my next question is, you mentioned the heads of the tribes. And we're talking about, you know, the the kingdom is obviously already divided. So the northern ten tribes, what's going on with the leaders of those? Like, are those ten tribes represented in Jerusalem right now mm-hmm. um, or not? Yeah, so this is a mystery to me, too, a lot of it. First of all, if you look for a list of the tribes of Israel, and I don't have the references before me, but there are several lists of the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. I think in Revelation 7 you have a list. Mm -hmm. And some of them include Levi and leave somebody out. Some of them include uh, Joseph and leave out his two sons. Some have Benjamin in there. Some do not. They're not always there because the lists are not always political Sometimes they're spiritual, they're symbolic, especially the one in Revelation. You know, that obviously is symbolic. And then you had the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom. And I hope our listeners are with us on this. If If you're not, I encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast on Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, Mm -hmm. because we talk about a little of this history But in 722 B.C., long before the days of Ezekiel, a couple hundred years before that, uh, Assyria, an empire kind of like Babylon, came in, destroyed the northern kingdom and its capital city of Samaria. Those are the ten tribes you were talking about, right, Andrew? Mm -hmm. And they were taken into captivity just like the Jews have been taken into captivity from Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, The difference is they weren't followed by a benevolent conqueror like Cyrus over Persia. They were followed by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. These guys that we're studying now, they destroyed Assyria. They weren't interested in trying to get the members of the northern kingdom back to their homeland. Mm -hmm. And Assyria had evidently transported other peoples from other conquered lands into the area that was known as Samaria and the Northern Kingdom. That's why there's the hatred between Jews and Samaritan That's where the Samaritan race began. So some people will refer to the lost ten tribes of Israel. All right, but then um, I think it was either Hezekiah or Josiah who was reinstituting the Passover feast and extended an invitation to Israel, meaning the northern kingdom, to join them. This was after the Assyrian conquest, to join them in celebrating the Passover. So where did these people come from? You know, I didn't know they were there. Maybe those were the early Samaritans, maybe not. And they didn't... um, See, this is where it would help if if we did have these conversations before because I had this reference in front of me. Didn't Nehemiah, or was it Ezra... Somebody invited them to come help them rebuild part of Jerusalem. I think they? you're right. I think and we ran they across declined. that. They yeah. said, no, we're not going to come. Yes. 
think and that the same was, was seems true about the reinstitution of the Passover. So there were some people still up there. I but I don't think that what we're reading here in chapter thirty-four of Ezekiel has a whole lot to do with the lost ten tribes. It's more of like I think priests, it's, we're down to a remnant prophets, now. Men who were leading others, maybe not in such a formal role in and around as, Jerusalem. Okay. The nation is basically Jerusalem by this point. Picture these 12 flourishing tribes after Solomon being whittled down little by little by little until all that's left basically is the city of Jerusalem and then Nebuchadnezzar takes that out as well. And I another thing I remember from our studies of Ezra and Nehemiah is that when Zerubbabel uh, was released with his people to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple uh, under Cyrus. Jerusalem had been, or Judah, the province, Jerusalem, the city, had been reduced to an area about 20 miles square. Hmm. That's that's your nation of Israel. It had gotten down to that small of a size. Hmm. So you picture that. That's pretty much what's there now in Ezekiel 34. They're spread out all over the place. Those are the scattered sheep. And they have, you know, some promises, some guarantees like from Jeremiah that the captivity will last 70 years and then God will bring you back. Mm -hmm. God will bring back a remnant. And so he's preparing, Ezekiel is preparing the leaders of that remnant, which would include men like Zerubbabel Mm -hmm. and those that went before him who did a lousy job, evidently. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that clears it up. That gives me a lot of good, a lot of good notes for further study on here too. So, I think that answers my question about the shepherds. Yeah, I, um, you know, I also think about these images we have of the men sitting at the city gates. You had men of prom, men of prominence, wealthy businessmen, for example, mm-hmm. who were able to sit in there and make judgments alongside the elders of the community and the. Uh, the priests and the prophets. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we were talking Sunday about how Lot had slipped into that situation in Sodom, according to Genesis 19, verse 1. Yeah. Um, which got him into a whole lot of hot water mm-hmm. or hot uh, lava yeah. or whatever is <laughs> coming out of the sky. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, the rest of this is pretty cut and dry and practical stuff that we want to say for the last segment anything you want to do anything else on this um the only other small note i had here is just that uh over and over again in this first section well i guess it's more apply i'm gonna save that yeah yeah all right let's stop talking and start talking again in a few minutes I've been looking forward to talking about Ezekiel 34 because it is a it's a chapter that's often overlooked and it's one of the best manuals on leadership I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just it's amazing if any anybody put this into their lives and developed themselves as leaders according to this standard they would 
I mean, definitely they would be successful leaders. And, you know, the overall theme is leadership through service. Right. Uh, you're going to see a servant leader right here. And as, you know, you read through what the Lord does and what the the shepherds of Israel did not do, you think, I would love to follow leader a leader like the Lord. And, oh, how awful it would be if I were under a leader like these. And so when when our listeners are listening to this, Andrew's about to give us some qualities of leadership. As you're listening to this, resist the, the temptation to point the finger, you know, at somebody in your life. Right. And instead, remember that all of us are leaders in some way. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing and, you know, it's easy to say, but think about it. You're either a, you know, you might be an elder at a church. You may be a preacher. You may be a Bible class teacher. You may be a mom. You may be a dad. You may be a, a student in school that others look up to. Um, last night, Andrew, did you notice this? So my son, he's seven. He led singing. And there were two other boys that led singing behind him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't usually do this, but last night... He announced the song, and then immediately, before anybody had time to turn their hymn books or to even look up at the screen at for the words, he yeah. just announced the song and then just went straight into the song, way yeah. too fast. Days of Elijah. Days of Elijah is what he's saying. Yeah. He was nervous, you know. But mm-hmm. the other two guys behind him, who had never done this before either, did the exact same thing. And I told him on the way home, oh, first two things. Hmm. I said, first of all, you made this, you know, you did this, you could do it better by giving yourself a few seconds in there. It's your nerves. Mm-hmm. Slow yourself down. Number two, did you notice that your buddies did the same thing? Be careful what you do because people are watching you. Yeah. And he's a seven-year-old, okay? Mm-hmm. But that was a moment of leadership. And, you know, I, I was trying to get him to look at that and notice mm-hmm. his influence. You can't deny your influence. You are influencing somebody whether you like it or not. Right. To different degrees, mm-hmm. and we especially want those with more power to listen to these things. Right, but um, you know I'm, it works for anything. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because we're not trying to. You know, I think sometimes we overdo the whole leadership thing every now and then, and we try to make this big push of everybody should be a leader. Yeah, like you know, everybody should be Moses. Or everybody. And then, should yeah, be, and that's not true. Yeah, not yeah. everybody should be Moses. Not everybody should be. Um, Ezekiel, you know, we're all leaders in different capacities. Um, James said, I believe this is the exact quote, let not many of you become teachers. Right. That's the beginning of chapter three, right? And then he talks about how to control your tongue. So So he doesn't want a lot of teachers. Right. But just because we're not all leaders like Moses or like these guys who are getting in trouble here, I'm very glad you pointed out. We are all leaders somehow, even down to the seven-year-old who's leading singing in right. front of the church. Uh, so everybody has an influence. So think about your own areas of influence as we go through some of these. Like you said, the heart of the issue is service. The poor shepherds serve in a very selfish manner. Notice that all of their failings could be solved if they weren't selfish. Look what they didn't do. They didn't feed the hungry, but you notice what they did do is they fed themselves. Mm-hmm. It says they would even kill uh, they killed the fat sheep and then ate those to feed themselves. So not only were they having a hard time taking care of the flock, they were killing they were, the flock themselves and then eating. Yeah, and and I think the that's flock. 
that may have been a literal thing then, but what it amounts right, to is they were selfish. The yeah. And they didn't put the others first. Right. Uh, and then they didn't clothe the sheep, they didn't strengthen them, heal them, bind the injured, or seek the lost. I think that's very challenging for us now to think, you know, in the areas in which I serve as a leader, how much of that am I doing for myself? And how much of that am I doing for the benefit of those that I'm influencing here? That's especially pertinent for elders of the church, uh, for ministers, but, you know, definitely for parents as well, uh, for teenagers who are, you know, whether they're leaders on their team, uh, sports team, or in their classrooms, or uh, older siblings, even younger siblings, whatever it is, you know, in the areas that we have influence, what do we like to use that influence for? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we are interested in ga- in gaining influence so that we can use that for our own... For power or yeah, whatever. For what, however we choose Prestige, to wield honors. it. honors. Yeah. And, and let me stop here and make this point. When we're saying don't be selfish as a leader and don't do it for yourself and be a servant leader, that's not saying it's wrong to enjoy being a leader. Right. Because I think the truth about human nature is because we've been made in the image of God, we enjoy service. That's not because we're doing it selfishly. It's because that's what God created us to do. He didn't create us to put ourselves first. We've been made in his image to put others first. So that's a whole different issue. If you're enjoying leading, if you enjoy being a parent, an elder, a teacher, whatever, a boss, don't think, you know, shame on me. I'm having a good time doing this. No, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. Just try it as service instead of yeah. doing it for these other motives that Andrew mentioned. Um, and when we do that, if if these elders had done that, if these shepherds had done that in Israel, Israel's not in the state that it was that it was in at the time. So rather than thinking of themselves, they should have employed, uh, you know, the the passage that everybody mentions when we talk about selflessness, Philippians two one to five. Um, you yeah, know, right. Where Paul is teaching them what selflessness is. You know, he says, "Have this mind among you, which is not." your own, but it's yours in Christ Jesus, right after he tells them to uh, count others more significant than themselves, not only to look out for their needs, but the needs of others. And then he goes on to explain the their example, which is Christ, which is interesting because in this chapter, we're talking about the good shepherd as the leader that is to come is going to be Jesus, you know, uh, mm-hmm. God working through Jesus here. So in both occasions, Philippians chapter 2, when we're talking about selflessness, he says your example is the good shepherd that we're talking about here in Ezekiel 34. So the way that Jesus has modeled leadership, obviously, has been by doing the following things. And we'll discuss these things and maybe just kind of hit the positive and negative side of them both or however we want to do it as we bring it up. Um, First of all, a good shepherd seeks the lost. Obviously, in the spiritual sense of this now, we're talking about someone who will go out and fulfill what we read in all the passages of the Great Commission, right? Mm -hmm. This is maybe elders of the church, ministers in the church, 
who are interested in getting out there and seeking the lost, just as the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, we know we don't save anybody, but we can point them to the one who does um, if we get out there and we seek them. Um, also, are you going to hit on those who stray? Yes. Okay, so but, I'll say... No, yeah. you can. You go right ahead. Well, I don't know if this is number two or still part of number one, but when you say seek the under, lost... Yeah, it falls under number one. Number one is I have it organized here. Seek the lost, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have the image of the sheep who hasn't who needs to be brought into the fold, but then you've got the image of the straying sheep, which is very common, mm-hmm. and that sheep is in just as much trouble as the one who hasn't made it into the fold yet. Mm-hmm. So... You know, this is where I think of elders in the church. This is a big thing for them. It's a big thing for parents. Mm-hmm. It's a heartbreaking job for parents many times when their children leave the Lord. Uh, we're not just supposed to say, oh, well, you know, uh, yeah. sayonara. Yeah. It's too awkward. I don't You're want to get involved to make in that. Decisions. See you later. Right. Or, you know, of a fellow church member that's just started missing church because a lot of times, you know, something hurtful was said. A mistake was made, a misunderstanding happened, um, and all it takes is for a shepherd to go maybe make a phone call or just write a card or go visit and talk to somebody to bring them back. Very, very important work Yeah, that is often not done. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad you brought that uh, something else up. It's not done in the sake of just just uncomfortable. I mean, a yeah. lot of people don't, and some people do enjoy confrontation, so those those kinds of phone calls go the wrong way. But, you know, a lot of people from a loving standpoint, uh, or who would do these things from a loving standpoint, are hesitant to do them, because it's not, I mean, how do you have that conversation? You know, hey, uh, I noticed you haven't been at church, are you guys okay? Or, you know, is there something else going on? It's not a very comfortable conversation to have because you can get a lot of negative feedback. You know, why are you not my parents? Why are you checking in on me? Or for a parent checking in on a kid, that could get a lot of negative mm-hmm. impact as well. Uh, just depending on the attitude of the person that you're reaching out to. Um, but I think it comes back to this principle. The leaders in Israel were not willing to trade their own comfort for the benefit of the people. So they made their people uncomfortable so they could be comfortable. And that's a principle that we need to certainly uh, across the board, no matter how we are leaders, but especially for parents and elders, um, are we going to be willing to sacrifice our comfort for the comfort of those we are leading? Um, And in every case, the good shepherd here is willing to sacrifice his comfort for our own. One last little note here on this seeks the lost. Uh, seeks is an active word, right? So when we say seeking the lost, we're not talking about, you know, well, if this person happens to call me, I'll bring it up next time I talk to him. Or next time I yeah. see him, I'll bring it up. Well, you might not see him again for another year. You take the initiative yeah. and do what needs to be done. Yeah, go and yeah. look for them. Go yeah. and look for them. Uh, not waiting around opportunities to come knocking. Uh, the second thing is closely tied to that, uh, rescues is what the good shepherd does in verse 12. Not only does he seek them, but he finds them and he rescues them. Now, we don't rescue, like we mentioned a second ago, in the sense that Jesus does. 
Uh, so we certainly don't take away anybody's sins, but like we said, we can lead somebody to that. But it is good to know that by seeking these people and by trying to help them, we can lead them to their rescue. And maybe that motivates us to be willing to be a little more uncomfortable for the sake of someone's uh, rescue. Mm -hmm. Um, The next one is the good shepherd gathers them. He gathers his sheep together. And I think we can take an application from this um, of that leaders should be uniting the flock. You know, we should not be um, doing or I guess doing things that would cause or promote division among the flock. Um, We should be uniting people under the banner of Christ uh, with that same mind that is of Christ, like we mentioned from Philippians um, just a moment ago. Uh, The next thing that they do, or that the good shepherd does, he feeds the sheep. That's in verses 13 to 15. Uh, And translation to now, like you already mentioned, this will be for for parents, for elders. Um, How are you promoting the spiritual growth of the people you are leading? What are you doing to promote that growth? And as parents and elders, a lot of times, I know there's there's a temptation to focus solely upon, um, you know, I think from a parent's standpoint, how am I going to take care of this child? Well, think taking care of my child is going to involve, I got to work all hours of the day and all hours of the night so I can make the money so that my family can, you know, live in a house and have food on the table and go to a nice school or this and that and the other. Sometimes we do that to the expense of, well, I've spent all my time worrying about these things and I haven't spent a lick of time worrying about how I'm going to promote spiritual growth in my family. Mm-hmm. So when we say yeah, to to make it to make it simple, it it has to do with the the Word of God. Yeah, that's the spiritual nourishment. Mm-hmm. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so uh, it takes time to do that. And I think what you're talking about, Andrew, is that's not just teaching a lesson, but it's living the Word before your right. children. Or in the case of church leaders, you know, you teach those classes and preach those sermons, but you also walk the walk. Right. Uh, And that's the nourishment that the people, the sheep, deserve. Mm -hmm. Who? What kind of shepherd would not feed his sheep? Uh, You know, it's it's baffling to think of that. Yeah. And yet, in church, you see that all the time. In families, you see that all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's an obvious thing, yeah. but it's not done that much. And I think sometimes it gets done because we focus on those other things too much. Now, we do need to be putting food on the table, literally speaking. Um, so we need to work to do that, but not at the expense of, you know, mm. uh, putting the, the more things, important yeah. kind of things on the table that need to be taken care of at home. Um, the the focus certainly needs to be on the spiritual growth. I feel like I got a lot more I'd like to say about that, but we'll move on. I know we're running close to being out of time here. Um, also, the shepherd brings peace, uh, verse 15. This kind of goes back to, you know, uniting the people. Um, a leader is a peacemaker, right? Yeah. Um, elder, parent, whatever, should be a peacemaker, not the ones causing... <laughs> 
causing the problems, causing the strife. Mm-hmm. Uh, although sometimes, you know, doing the right thing is going to cause problems for people who don't want to do it. But at the end of the day, we should be peacemakers. Um, striving and these verses are not emphasized among us as much as like Matthew ten thirty two. do not think that I came to bring peace into the world. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Mm-hmm. It's like we've always got to throw the disclaimer out there when we say blessed are the peacemakers. Now, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we we can't bring peace. The Romans yeah. twelve eighteen says live as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. <laughs> But what's the emphasis? What's the main thing is make peace, heal wounds, lift up the weak, you know, bring bring peace in. I know that sometimes we're not able to do it because the other side resists the gospel and you can't compromise the gospel or the truth or Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. But let's get back to what the major item is. That's just a disclaimer. That's just Mm -hmm. a parenthetical note. The main thing is that Christ came to earth to bring peace, and that's why we're here. Yeah. It's interesting to see in the the physical actions of Jesus while he was here, how he he did what he had to do in a peaceful way, but he was still, you know, quote, bringing the sword— Mm-hmm. So when he goes before, you know, this is what the eunuch in Acts 8 is reading when Philip comes to him. He's reading about, you know, the lamb before his shears is silent. So basically, is Jesus going to be? So Jesus does not cause this, you know, political upheaval, uh, even in his, uh, what he is coming to do to seek and save the lost. He is doing what he has to do in a peaceful way. But he's not in the name of peace saying to the authorities, you know what, never mind, just forget it. I'll quit teaching all these things. I'll quit doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm supposed to bring peace, so let's just forget the whole thing. We'll figure out another way to do this. He sacrificed himself. That's how you do it. Yeah. The way you keep from compromising and starting trouble is you sacrifice. Right. Um, You know, you you learn nonviolent resistance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Thoreau talked about it. Martin Luther King Jr. did it. Gandhi did it. And they, they all got it from the same source. Jesus Christ, the shepherd that we're talking about here. If if people won't accept that he's the truth, he's not going to violently assert it. He gives himself up as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he's not going to rule with what was it said about the the evil shepherds, force and harshness. I keep wanting yeah. to say force. Yes. It's hard to say force <laughs> and harshness together. Yeah, um, it is. I'm not going to try. The forceness. Um, <laughs> a few more of these. How are we doing on time? We're getting close? Uh, fine. We're doing fine. We're doing fine? Okay, good. Um, so he also binds the injured and strengthens the weak. Takes the time out to help the little guy, really, or the guy that needs help. So this is the leader, uh, the elder, the minister, or the parent. That when somebody needs help, you're going to help them, uh, no matter what it is or no matter what time of day or night. Mm-hmm. The way I like to be. look at it is they are there to make life easier, not mm-hmm. harder. That's an emphasis I'm personally trying to put into my ministry this year. Yeah. Not not because I feel like I've really beaten and bruised up some people, I, but I just, 
you know, there are a lot of things that we start doing Do you thoughtlessly. Need to confess to something here on <laughs> no. the podcast today. No, I just I, I think that it it should we should try to make people's lives as easy as we possibly can. Not talking about compromising truth or anything, but why yeah. you know, I know that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But I also know that Jesus said, "My yoke is, it, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light," mm-hmm. and that John said his commandments are not burdensome. First John five three, which is interesting because it's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew three when he told the Pharisees they they put heavy burdens on people. The word heavy mm-hmm. is the same word that is used in First John five three when. John says his commandments are not burdensome. They're not yeah. what the Pharisees were putting on people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not Christianity is supposed to make your life better. Yeah, you know Jesus came to give abundant life. John ten ten, not hard and awful lives. Yeah, do we suffer persecution? Okay, so here come all the disclaimers. Oh yeah. Yes, Second <laughs> Timothy uh, two thirteen says. All that desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yes. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. Yes. Um, you know, you must obey God rather than man. We, yeah, okay. But even those persecutions but, are taken with joy. You know, that's like a part of the. Uh, right. You know, uh, I've lost my train of thought because I was about to look up a verse for this. Um, but I'm thinking of in Acts. You know, the first time that the apostles, I think it's only Peter and John, uh, when they're taken before the council and they're arrested. um, Yeah, this is in chapter, I believe it's at the end of chapter 4. They rejoiced because they suffered. They they rejoiced because they were considered worthy to be persecuted for the sake of the name. And I'm looking... That might That's be, 541, okay. Acts 541. That's the second Rejoicing time they were counted arrested. worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Yeah, so even the persecution is not burdensome, you know, yeah. in, in their eyes. And right. certainly under one, in one sense, it was burdensome. Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, they're thinking, you know, they're glad to be able to have that. Um, so binding the injured and strengthening the weak, even if it does cost you some of those things um we're seeking to help folks as leaders you're seeking to help folks um fulfill all these different parts of the christian life of the christian walk uh to help them in these things that might seem burdensome uh, to remind people hey you know this is (laughs) uh let's maybe be um i guess rejoicing that we're counted worthy to suffer dishonor. I'm just trying to think of these different ways that we can bind the injured and strengthen the weak. And a lot of times we are the injured and the weak. And I think that's a good thing to be mindful of as well. Even the strongest leader among us at some point is going to be injured and weak. Uh, So none of us are above the leadership of others, whether we're an elder or a parent or uh, an older sibling, no matter what it is. Just don't don't bury the lead, you know. Uh, not that you were, but don't 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 forget that overall we're supposed to help make people's lives better. I mean, right. you know, here's what Paul said in First Thessalonians five: uh, "Be at peace among yourselves." Verse fourteen: 
admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's those are verses we skip over all the time. I think because we think our natural in inclination is to be nice to people and to help people. And so we have to enforce the stuff we don't want to do. The confrontation, you know, yeah. you were talking about a minute ago. The conflict, the, the you know, uh, rebuke and the, the admonishment. But sometimes we get in a culture where we've emphasized that to the point that now the pendulum has swung all the way in the other direction. Our natural inc inclination now is to shut people out, to keep them out, to make it hard to, to bring them in yeah. and uh, to make their lives miserable. And that's not what we're here for. We're, we're here to right. give a message of deliverance and salvation, to bind up the wounds and all of, all of those things that the shepherds are told in yeah. Ezekiel 34. I would like to say one little more comment about this before we, before we roll on to the last one. Uh, or actually, no, wait, this is the last one. Um, okay. The yeah. comment is the last or one? This is the last little point that we have Oh, here. okay, all right. Because the next one from the Good Shepherd is judges. And obviously none of us as leaders are going to separate the sheep from the goats. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's reserved for only the Good Shepherd. Um, so, yeah, I got a little more time to talk about this than I thought I did. Uh, binding the injured and strengthening the weak. And we're right about making life easier for folks. But making somebody's life easier in the long run does not always mean you're making their life easier in the moment. True. Uh, and I don't yeah. think you were trying to say, you know, at whatever cost, just make people comfortable. Uh, I, no, certainly, I don't think I didn't you were say saying that. that. Yeah. Uh, but it is good to know. Like, if somebody, I'm thinking about, you know, how many movies have you seen from, you know, like the World War II or something where somebody's hurt and the only way to, to help them is to like chop off the limb that's hurting them. And certainly it's not making their life easier in the moment to chop off their limb while they're chewing on a popsicle stick <laughs> or, or, you know, a piece of wood they stick in their mouth. That's not making their life easier, but in the long run it is. And there are times I think when, you know, and this is what you say, you got to be careful about the pendulum swinging the other way. I'm not saying as a leader, you're going to be chopping off anybody's legs or arms. But, um, well, I'll put it this way. Here's a very, very little, uh, in comparison to the last illustration, uh, yeah. a little illustration. So in the mornings, Drew, you know, I've been teaching a class over at the local Christian school here in town, mm -hmm. Jefferson Christian. Yeah. We, they do a very small project. In their eyes, it's the worst thing that I could have possibly asked them to do. Mm -hmm. But they do a very small project. We're going through the book of Acts. And at the end of every week, they have to do a little notebook on what we've covered during the week. Mm -hmm. They have to list the people, the places, who they are, what they've done in the, in the places, that sort of thing. Write a paragraph about what happened, the purpose of the chapters, and then give me a few discussion questions. That's it. Mm -hmm. So we've had some problems with people doing this and getting it done just because like every high school student, and just like I was, <laughs> lazy, would rather goof off and talk, don't make me do any work. Right. Uh, so what what we did for them um, this week was I kind of helped them out and as we went through class. I showed them how to do it as we as we went through the lectures during. Basically, I tried to teach them how to take notes during a class. Yeah. <laughs> that way, you know, at the end they could goof off and they could mm -hmm. have a good time. But you know, when we were discussing it, they're actually getting something out of it and taking notes on it. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, and at first they did not, they didn't want to do this thing and it's definitely not making life easier for them to do an assignment during the week. Uh, mm-hmm. But rather than just throw my hands up and say, you know what, guys, forget it. You don't have to do this assignment. Uh, just don't worry about it. You guys can goof off and not pay attention as we study God's word. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, still making them do something that's un- that might be uncomfortable and not convenient for them in the moment, not making life easy as possible on them. But, uh, you know, still trying to find a peaceful way, I guess, uh, to help them to learn to grow. Still trying to feed them. Um, certainly not just throwing up my hands. Not just and, giving a fish. Right. But teaching them how to fish. Right. I just, yes. I just made that up. Yeah. I don't think I've Do ever you have heard more? That We're about out of time. Didn't you have that last point? Well, yeah, but. Jesus is the judge, the Messiah, the good shepherd. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the point here is Interesting, this is where Matthew 25 came from, I guess. The sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 31 and following. Yeah, I've got that Um, here. And I don't think I knew that until I started rereading this earlier this week, and I saw that in there. Um, But yeah, that's that's one example that earthly leaders do not follow Mm -hmm. in the shepherd's steps. I do have one thing that I forgot to mention. So I did have an extra one. I know we're out of time. All right. We can edit this out later. Notice that God, over and over, when he's talking about the bad shepherds, says this is what they've done to my sheep, to my flock. So it's a good reminder for leaders today that are in positions like an elder or a parent. Uh, Those kids, for the parents, your children, uh, for the members at your congregations, elders, they are not yours. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are God's. Now, certainly in one sense, parents, your kids are yours, but in the grandest sense of things, they're not yours. They're God's mm-hmm. precious children. They're These, like the talents that the man left with his servants and went on a long journey. They're ours to manage. They're our responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's a great responsibility that leaders have. Yeah. Certainly a great responsibility that you have. Um, so that's why an episode solely on leadership from this chapter is important. Yeah. Because the responsibility is so great. Listen, how many more episodes in Ezekiel do we have? We're just going to do one more. Okay. So one more. We're going to cover more. that final vision that Ezekiel has. Of So, so far in Ezekiel, we've covered the initial um, exile. Now we've got the prophecy of uh, Jerusalem being destroyed. It's been fulfilled here. Jerusalem mm-hmm. has been destroyed. Now we have a vision of the people being taken back to Jerusalem. Okay, great, That'll great. Be next week. Well, in the meantime, if you want to send us some feedback, uh, check us out online, the66.net. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, we're looking forward to finishing up Ezekiel and getting into a New Testament book that we'll announce to you uh, when we come back on next week. So uh, in the meantime, send us your feedback and all that. And uh, we'll finish up Ezekiel next time on the 66. Mm-hmm.